You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. In today's episode, we raise our glasses to an icon who seamlessly blended health, wellness, and the pursuit of delightful no and low drinks. Join us as we dive into the effervescent journey of Claire Warner. Once a law student, now the head of advocacy for Diageo, a true change maker in transforming the beverage landscape from the courtroom aspirations to advocating for the world's most iconic spirits. Claire's story is a symphony of passion, dedication, and the art of sipping life to the fullest. Get ready to be inspired as we pour over the spirited chapter of Claire's remarkable career. Sit back relax, grab yourself your favorite cocktail, and enjoy this very special episode. Claire, welcome to Served Up. It is such a pleasure to have you on our show. Oh my God, it's so, so lovely to be on your show. Firstly, thank you. And to see you, Bridget, it's been such a long time, Um, but I'm delighted. Me as well. Can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your background, and really what led you into the hospitality industry? Sure. Um, so I'm Claire Warner. I um, have been in the drinks business for 20 plus years. Started out as a bartender. Um, and like so many of us, I think, sort of fell into bartending while I was at university and um, graduated and then, you know, never left the industry. Um, got into bartending knowing nothing at all um, and taught myself. And the quickest way I found to learn about bartending was to compete. So entered lots of cocktail competitions. This is sort of going back, yeah, 2003, 2004. Um, no, earlier, from 2001, 2002. And um, won a very big cocktail competition, which catapulted me into um, the world of brand advocacy. And um, I became the Belvedere brand ambassador in 2003 and then spent a good chunk of um, my time with Moet Hennessy. So 15 plus years with Moet Hennessy and then got into health and well-being, uh, created a non-alcoholic brand, which was the sister brand to Seedlip. And um, now more recently have joined Diageo as the head of advocacy uh, in GB. So uh, kind of full circle. But um, but yeah, hospitality, advocacy, education, um, all of that stuff is my jam. So uh, yeah, that's a, a snippet, I suppose. It's amazing. Just amazing. I want to take you back to when you're at university and obviously, you know, I think that our listeners can hear your accent and probably wondering where you're from. Where did you go to college? What did you study? And what did you ultimately think that you were going to do? Because I have a feeling that it was not brand advocacy. No, it was close though. 
in a sort of very tangential way. Is that even even a word? But it was so do you remember LA Law? It's probably even like coming back now, coming back round. So so I'm from London and as a as a kid grew up on a diet of LA Law. I thought it was the most sort of glamorous program I'd ever seen. And so I grew up wanting to be a barrister. I wanted to be um in in law. Um, but my vision of law was very much based on LA law. So it was, you know, running down the steps of a courtroom and it was all very dramatic. And, um, you know, law, which I went in to study at university is not like LA law. Uh, it's, it's a, quite a solitary, um, uh, degree. Um, and I, quite quickly discovered a lot about myself at university that I was more social than I thought I was that I needed to be with people that um, as much as I love reading and studying um, law was a real challenge for me and I sort of quickly realized that I didn't want to follow that as a career I wanted to do something that was you know more social uh, but I didn't know what that was and so I, I just figured that staying in law and graduating and figuring it out as I sort of went along my merry way would probably be the best thing to do. So when I graduated and my parents were expecting me to go into law and I said, actually, I'm a bartender. <laughs> um, I, you know, my dad still is saying, you know, when are you going to go back to, uh, you know, that, that dream that you had to be a barrister? And, um, you know, it, it just, it wasn't for me, but this wonderful world of hospitality seemed to kind of call to me and I sort of made a made my home in in this world as opposed to being in the courts but you know it's still you know advocacy and being an advocate is very closely related to what you would do in a courtroom you know you would advocate for your client and I advocate for for brands and and causes and things that I'm super passionate about so it's still there. The, the law training comes out um, occasionally, but I think ultimately it's about being able to tell great stories and to sort of capture the imagination and to persuade. Um, and so all of that training, I think, has not really gone to waste. I use it for other other means. Yeah, it's really fascinating from law to beverage. And so you said that what catapulted you was a cocktail competition early on. Do you recall what that competition was? Can you talk about what that looked like? Um, sounds like it was about 20 years ago or so and how cocktail competitions have maybe changed or evolved today. Yeah, sure. Well, I do remember it very clearly. Um, it was called Battle of the Giants. Dick Bradstaw was a judge. Um, so was Ben Reed. Um, and it was basically London bartenders versus the rest of the UK. And I was in the rest of the UK because I was studying in the north of England. Even though I'm from, from London, I, I wasn't in London at that time. So, you know, travel down to the big smoke, uh, to present, uh, three cocktails. Um, and my theme was English country garden. So I created this whole you know, story around uh, these three cocktails and really put the focus on on very English ingredients. Um, And, you know, I think I did a lavender martini, uh, something with Dubrovka, something with strawberry and basil and black pepper, you know, 
this is 20 plus years ago and th this is the this is not you know the sophisticated cocktails that we get today but it was it was at the the Islington Design Centre which is a huge design centre there must have been a thousand people in the audience up on a stage you know with the with the Madonna mic and um I loved it I thought it was great and I sort of had come off the back of um presenting in fake courtrooms for law what was what what, what was called moot so I was very confident at standing up and sort of telling telling my pitching my drinks and telling the story and um and I got a real kick out of it I thought it was amazing and won the competition so so beat the the London bartenders and and was the I was the only woman in that um in that competition which that's probably um a, a big thing that's changed over the last few years is that we see more women in these competitions which is incredible but at the time yeah I was the only I was the only woman um and yeah won that competition and I came out of that that big conference center and there was a an advert for a a mobile phone across the road and I think it said this is your sign and I looked at that sign I thought this is my sign I've won this huge competition this this could be a career you know I could actually do something with this win now and so yes yeah, so I went back and really enjoyed the win and then I lobbied the company who ran the competition to come and join them in London as their as their ambassador and at the time, ambassadors weren't really a thing. I think the only ambassador that was doing what we now call advocacy was Simon Ford. Uh, he would have been sort of with Plymouth at that at that time. So it was a very new type of role. But I must have known enough about the fact that this is I wanted to represent these brands and I wanted to move back to London and this could be an opportunity. So I kind of used the winners as leverage to kind of come back to London and and work for. A group of a, a company that had delicious Polish vodka, so Vibrodova, Luxusova, and Zubrovka. So Polish vodka became my first introduction to the world of, you know, vodkas at that time. And then, um, and then sort of, you know, gradually sort of progressed into the world of, of Belvedere. But there's been such a huge change, I think, now between my experience of cocktail competitions and the level of sophistication and innovation and creativity that we see today it's just a completely different discipline I think now versus what it was 20 plus years ago yeah I agree with you 110 percent I feel such kinship with you when you're speaking about you know being a woman and the first woman in a cocktail competition I have a very similar story but then also you know, when you talk about how things have evolved and changed you know now we see cocktail competitions on Netflix. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I still think a lavender martini is very delicious. I don't think we have to be so funky. We don't. No. And that that's definitely my approach to drink. Simple. Simple is best. But I I don't I don't know now if I would have the confidence to enter a, a competition now because it's it's not only about drinks. It's it's so much more of a production, and it's and it's so much more about social media and your ability to uh, sell yourself and and I think I think that's one of the challenges of cocktail competition there's a lot of pressure and it can of course cap catapult you into um, incredible opportunities but the pressure is is beyond just 
um, you know, the ability to make a really delicious drink. It's it's something that is um, much more of a lifestyle approach to, you know, what what do what do these drinks represent? They represent so much more than just an experience that a consumer might have in a bar. It's how is this drink branded? How are you branded? How are you telling the story? So I have such respect and admiration for any bartender that that enters any competition these days, you know, because the stakes are so much higher. Yeah, that is so true. You, you know, your skill set has to definitely go beyond what's in the class. Yeah, for sure. So once, um, you know, you, you talked about being an ambassador for Belvedere and all these lovely Polish vodkas, and then this brought you to health and wellness, which I really want to spend a little bit of time on. Would love for our listeners to understand, you know, what were you doing around health and wellness? That was really groundbreaking in our industry, I feel. And how that reflects in your lifestyle and why is it important? So I'll take you back to probably 2007, 2008. I'd been working uh, as an, a global ambassador for a few years. And um, that, is a, that is a magical job, you know, being able to travel all over the world, representing a brand that you love, talking to thousands of people you know, visiting fantastic bars, restaurants, everything. But for me, I started to feel very, very anxious with flying. I started to get a lot of anxiety around getting on a plane. It came out of nowhere. I all of a sudden started to have panic attacks, but I didn't know what I was having a panic attack. I genuinely thought that every time I got on, um, on a flight, I would have a heart attack. That was what my stressed, anxious brain would tell me. And I, um, I thought I needed to quit my job. I was really struggling with anxiety. Um, what I now know, looking back, is that I was probably burnt out. I was probably just burning too many candles at all of the wrong ends and um, was exhausted. But I was so in love with what I was doing and probably had really, my identity had become very much linked to what I was doing as well. So you know, the thought of potentially having to quit my job meant not just losing a job, but losing a sense of who I was and, you know, who am I if I'm not able to declare anymore? So there's a lot of sort of anxiety and stress that I was feeling. And I'd also moved to New York. So I was living away from home. Fortunately, um, was introduced to a dear friend, um, a woman called Georgia Van Teel, who is an expert in health and well-being. She had moved to New York as well and randomly um, needed somewhere to live. And I had a spare room. And so she she moved in with me, with her husband. And I think over the course of about a year, taught me how to um, survive in many ways in this industry. Taught me coping strategies. You know, talked to me about sleep and the importance of eating a balanced diet and all of this very, very basic stuff that was really life-changing for me because it meant that I discovered health and it, it was a route for me to be able to keep my job but also be well um, and not feel as though it was one or the other. And at that time, I felt very strongly that I'd unlocked some sort of crazy secret and that I wanted other people to understand that we can be in hospitality we can be in the 
beverage alcohol business and still prioritize our health and our well-being and um, try to carve out a career that you know has longevity versus burning ourselves out because we feel the pressure to be at every party you know doing shots um, up super late you know all of that felt as though that was the only way to succeed at that time and um, with Georgia we uh, created a, a platform called Drink Eat Live which is really a, again a very simple platform where we where we talk to bartenders and people in beverage alcohol around some of these um, strategies, you know, getting good sleep, you know, balancing your diet, what to do when you're hung- hungover. Um, and we started to talk also about sugar and how much sugar we consume generally as a society, but also how much sugar is, or, or at that time was being used in drinks, drinks that was perhaps unnecessary. A lot of the pre-prohibition cocktails that we were talking about at that time were based on on spirits that were perhaps not as well made as they were in the 2000s in the 21st century so there's an argument to reducing the amount of sugar that we were using so started to talk a lot about sugar consumption and health and nature and actually how nature can help us unlock creativity and that became very much the Belvedere platform. I was really lucky that the president of Belvedere saw that I was super passionate about this topic, but it also aligned with a lot of what we were talking about with Belvedere. So using natural ingredients, no sugar in the in the vodkas. So there was a real synergy between what I wanted to talk about, where my values were, and the brand values. And so for a while, that really was fantastic. I was um really talking about the things I was super passionate about and I felt that were important for the industry and I think over time I became more and more interested in actually what about less alcohol we're talking about less sugar what about less alcohol what about if we explore lower ABV cocktails as another route to balance and longevity and that conversation and that that sort of topic um, it brought me to Ben Branson, who created Seedlip. So, um, so Ben and I had a initial conversation about nature. He was a designer at that time and talk, came to talk to me about ways to change some of the packaging of, of Belvedere to talk more about nature. And we just bonded over this sort of mutual obsession around how restorative nature can be and how how informative nature can be. And he lent me a book, which is all about biomimicry and how we can learn the lessons from nature and apply it to to our work. And that, again, that just created a cascade of ideas around like, how can I bring nature more into my work, more into what I do? And then eventually he approached me 2017 to ask whether I'd be interested in creating a brand together. And we created Acorn, which is the sister brand to Seedlip and a range of non-alcoholic aperitifs. It would, it would have taken a lot for me to have like let, left Belvedere because I was very happy and it was a brilliant time. But I was really passionate about this idea around increasing our choice around no and low drinking. Um, and also you know, what, what can, what can we learn from nature and how can we bring nature into what we consume? From a, from a drink perspective, 
and then through my time with Acorn became very very interested in um the power of being social and beyond drinking uh great cocktails together there's an additional element to being social that is very very restorative and very important and I think all of that was accelerated during COVID because we obviously weren't social and um, really sort of opened my eyes to the importance of trying to find ways to maintain social inclusion, um, which, yes, starts with non-alcoholic drinks or lower ABV drinks, but really needs to kind of be that they're the Trojan horse. That Those types of drinks are the Trojan horse because actually what we need to protect and and to promote is time time well spent together. Um, and so that's what I'm very, very passionate about today. It's so good. It's so good to hear because I feel like in the beginning, like, like you were saying, um, in order to get ahead in the industry, and I do think in order to get ahead of the industry, you had to be part of that um, energy. You had to be part of that exhaustion um, yes, FOMO was real, but it was also a new time. It wasn't like it is today where there's events all around us, you know, um, happening every week, every day, every month and all these festivals and all these things. It wasn't like that. And so when you're part of building something, the guilt of taking time out for yourself was real and the skills to do that, or even the the awareness that that was needed, it, it's nothing like it it is today. I think we're just in such a, a new age. And for those that really want to participate in the health and the wellness, and you know, especially in the bar industry, which is so aggressive. Whether you're on the brand ambassador side, I'm on a distributor side. Or if you're, you know, in the bar itself or a bar owner, it's tough. I always mm. say it's just not for the weak of heart. <laughs> it's yeah. really rough. So it's lovely to see nowadays that there is resources and a focus yeah. on health and wellness. Yeah, 100%. It, it was as though there was a parallel uh, wellness revolution happening alongside our industry that was flourishing in terms of creativity and a, a real commitment to quality ingredients and, mm -hmm. you know, using fresh ingredients. And, um, you know, I remember all the great work that you were doing to really help promote, you know, fantastic ingredients, simplicity, but great ingredients. And, and in, and in these two sort of revolutions are happening almost alongside one another, but, but our industry was not in any way interacting with this growing awareness of well-being and mm. fitness and health as it was almost as though we felt as though we couldn't we we weren't allowed there was no permission for us to also interact and have you know health and well-being be at the heart of what we're doing you know there was no um health and well-being program for hospitality you know there was no one looking out for us and now it's brilliant to see that actually that is a priority because what to your point, Bridget, when, when you're in hospitality, it's a physical job. Mm -hmm. You are working long hours. You are having to put a you know, smile on your face. You, you know, all of this sort of emotional labor, all of this physical labor without prioritizing health and well-being, you will burn out very, very quickly. 
So, you know, it's fundamental to a successful career in this business, I think, to, to have an awareness of how you can be productive, but also be protecting your health. Yeah. And it is so important. So we've lost a lot of folks in our industry who did not take care of their health. And we don't talk about that. We celebrate names, but we don't talk about the reality that is behind it, which is overindulgence. It is the drugs. It is staying within that party energy that damages one's health body to the point where you physically cannot keep up and it quits. And I think that, and I hope um, at some point we have those deeper, bigger conversations that need to be had, celebrating our friends at the same time, talking about that elephant in the room that's always present. Because unfortunately in our industry, a lot of that is still very much the heartbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. And I do think that there's now much greater openness to talking about and acceptance around talking about some of these challenges. Yes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly mention all of the great work that Tales of the Cocktail have done around mm-hmm. the Beyond the Bar program and just making access to so many great resources and programs and information and, you know, from very, very serious topics all the way through to there's now a daily running club at Tales of the Cocktail. I mean, you know, that, that, that it's it's a changed industry in that way. And I think we can hopefully increasingly bring more of our true authentic selves into what we do. Um, and if that means that you are sober and you want to be part of our industry, then that's then that is great and welcomed. And if you want to, um, if you want to only talk about non-alcoholic drinks, there's a there's a huge opportunity and audience for for no and low now. So I think there's there's greater opportunities to to rep to, to be in an industry that is becoming more truly representative of society at large versus just a small, very sort of like niche, narrow part of society that perhaps is only interested in you know, classic cocktails, mm-hmm. it's much more, um, it's much more holistic now. There's a lot more that's being accepted in terms of what we enjoy when it comes to hospitality. It's not just, you know, one facet of cocktails. It's a, a number of different elements, which again comes back to the point around all of this is in service of keeping us together and entertained and, um, you know, away from our screens, which yeah addiction absolutely um can we talk about your involvement with tales of the cocktail can you talk about first of all for our listeners who may not know what tales of the cocktail is and talk about your um really your your feet that are within this amazing organization you know where do you stand in it what are you doing what are some amazing programs that you participate in so um, for your listeners who perhaps aren't aware of Tales of the Cocktail, um, it celebrated its 21st anniversary last year. Um, it's the world's largest cocktail festival. It's based in New Orleans. There is an in-person festival that happens every July. Um, and that in-person festival represents about 23 million dollars a year of economic impact that goes into the city um, of New Orleans and 
essentially it is um, a week of education, activities, um, events, opportunities to network that all of the it brings all of the sort of bar communities together um for one great week of learning and um experiencing great cocktails and great cocktail culture uh but beyond that the Tales of cocktail foundation is a foundation so it's a non-for-profit philanthropic organization that gives back to the city of new orleans but also gives back to um our bar communities globally um we we um work tirelessly actually through through the whole year to to um respond to challenges opportunities initiatives that the bar community might have we also have a grants program that that um that grants uh, philanthropic donations uh, to support grassroots programs happening globally um particularly in the realms of um helping to increase or improve diversity and equity and inclusion mental health programs um so a wide range of um initiatives that tales of the cocktail um are, is responsible for um and ultimately the the tales of the cocktail foundation is there to work to enhance to elevate to advance the bar community at large through education predominantly um and yeah 21 years 22 years this year so i mean that makes me feel very old i've been involved in tales probably for the last 15 years i would say and now sit uh, on the board of directors but have had various positions over the years um sort of heading up education committees and all sorts of other initiatives but I think for me it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful platform that helps support our communities wherever they might be all over the world. So if you don't know about it, please check it out and we would love to see people in New Orleans, but also there's lots of stuff that happens online that, that people can in, interact with if they're not able to get to New Orleans next year this year. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one thing about Tales of the Cocktail is that it's not just for the trade. When I say trade folks, I mean like the beverage industry, folks that work within the beverage industry. It's also for cocktail enthusiasts or cocktail curious folks. We're just curious about the industry. Maybe you have a favorite spirit. Maybe you just want to learn more about, you know, beverage in general. It is definitely the place for you. And I mean, my goodness, it's in New Orleans. I mean, it's hot as hell in July. I'm not going to kid you. Bring changes, multiple changes of clothes for each and every day. But if you really are curious about beverage, you know, check out the topics for the workshops online, check out the good work that Tales of the Cocktail does in general, because it is yeah, for all. It is. And, you know, it started its life as a walking tour, mm. you know, to explore some of the great bars in, in the French Quarter of New Orleans, where some of the most famous classic cocktails were invented. And um, so absolutely it has the cocktail enthusiast at its heart. And over the last 21, 22 years, it is grown into this into this incredible festival like you say of 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 beverage of cocktails of cocktail culture this the business of bars and then we also have this platform that i mentioned earlier which is beyond the bar which is um you know everything that the bar communities touch so 
um, about you know mental well-being, physical well-being. Um, how do we tackle addiction? Um, how do we promote health and well-being in our in our bars and in, in our industry? So it, it's a it's an incredible uh, platform that has done so, absolutely so much great mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And if you think you know, 22 years ago, cocktail culture was really sort of emerging, mm-hmm. and Tales has helped to accelerate that. I think through the education that it provides in New Orleans and also online. Well, let's talk about where you're at today. Are you in London? Where where are you globally, Claire? And tell us about the work that you're doing as a head of advocacy for Diageo. So yes, I'm in London, um, a very rainy London actually. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's um but I'm I'm in London and yes, live here. So so been back in London now after living in New York for a few years been back in London for about 10 years and um, I am doing two things I'm studying so I'm at university at the moment I'm doing a a master's in business psychology um, which I think is something that business psychology touches everything that we do in in our in our world so it's been really useful and yeah and I've just recently joined Diageo as head of um, advocacy here in GB um, and so I'm three months in, Bridget, so I'm still learning the ropes. But um, what is incredible is to be able to work with such iconic brands. So, you know, everything from Johnny Walker through to Ciroc, uh, Singleton, and of course, Seedlip. And so Seedlip has landed in Diageo. And so I feel um, a kinship to um, the, the sister brand, to the to my to my acorn baby but but yeah it's, it's it's a fantastic portfolio of iconic brands so I'm really delighted to be able to um take care of advocacy for them what changes have you seen Claire in our industry you know that there's been a ton and we did touch on many but when you look especially like where you're at now so many of the cocktail I hate to use the word trends but it's true so much of the birth of the cocktail, the uh, the trends that are global stemmed out of London in your backyard. Can you talk a bit about how that cocktail landscape in the bars has changed perhaps since when you first started to today? Wow, I think it has changed a lot, but also there's still an, a real dedication to the craft of the cocktail. So that hasn't really changed. But what has perhaps changed is where those cocktail hotspots are are located geographically in London. So, um, you know, I'll talk more. London, of course, is a fantastic cocktail hotspot, but we have very, very hot spots within a big hotspot. So, you know, East London, where you've got, you know, um, Satan's Whiskers and um, K&N Elementary, and Seed Library and, you know, all of these iconic bars that you read about, you know, are really located in a very, very small area of London. And that sort of level of creativity and community, which is creating um, a really exciting um, neighborhood for, for customers to explore cocktail culture. But I think what what i what i see more than ever is is a consumer that is very um excited by the concepts of cocktails 
you know, it was it, a lot of this was pushed out. You know, the cocktail culture was pushed out by bartenders, um, and we were hoping that consumers would pick it up and you know get interested. But but because of, of things like London Cocktail Week, which um, I think that celebrated its kind of kill me, but maybe 15 years of London Cocktail Week. Those initiatives, um, you know, obviously world class as a global cocktail phenomenon, but the ability of world class to generate interest from a consumer level around cocktails means that we have a very discerning cocktail consumer here in the UK and, and of course in London. And that helps us do the work that we love to do, which is to create and to um, make magic and to create fantastic experiences for for our consumers wherever they might be in London, um, sort of exploring our, our fantastically diverse bar scene. I do feel that um, during COVID, so many consumers became at-home bartenders, Yeah, which really created a very exciting channel for brands yeah. more than ever. So I think that you're absolutely spot on when you mentioned the yeah. consumer. It did. It did. It was such a, an accelerant, I think, for mm-hmm. for cocktail culture. Um, you know, it was an accelerant for non-alc for mm-hmm. for 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 those um for those types of drinks because obviously we were at home and we were happy to experiment with with uh drinks that did not contain alcohol or less alcohol. So as a consequence, that category has really exploded here in the UK. I just recently judged the IWSR um, Know and Low competition and just the level of quality and craftsmanship and the diversity of entries was, was phenomenal. So that COVID accelerated that. And then I also think to your point, yes, we've got a, ri- a very, very discerning, engaged cocktail enthusiast audience in the in the UK. So that's wonderful for brands that that do well in cocktails, you know, that 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 where cocktail culture is at the heart of brands such as Tanqueray, um, you know, brands that really have been championing championing cocktails for, for many years, but now there's a really responsive audience for for those types of um those types of brands and those types of drinks. It is an exciting time to be in the hospitality beverage industry for sure. Can you give our listeners who are interested in a career in beverage some advice and i know that that's a broad question because in beverage folks you could be in marketing you could be in communications you could be a salesperson but at the heart of it what advice would you give i would i would say having been on worked for a brand and also created a brand to never forget who your consumer is i think there's a real a real temptation to create something and neglect or forget that that something needs to land with a consumer. We're a very creative um, industry and there are so many fantastic things that we are able to create. But if it doesn't have a consumer, if it doesn't have an audience, then your creativity can can be wasted. So everything we do needs to be in service of our consumer. Um, we 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 need to not forget that it's their money, it's their time, it's their experience that we're the curators of, and um, to always sort of come back to putting them at the centre or putting them at the heart of of what we do. 
um, and not letting our own egos get in the way. And I'm super guilty of this. You know, I'm like, oh, I've created something great and everyone's going to love it. Um, but if it if it doesn't service the consumer's needs, then it will not sell and you will not um, be able to do great work with it. So that that is for me, like I we get very excited about all the lovely creative things that we've we've seen and done. Um, and I have to kind of hold myself back and think, who is this for really? And and why would they why do they care why would they care? Why or how can I make them care? And and that I think will will serve you well in this industry. That's really terrific advice. Um, where can our listeners find you on social media? I am on Instagram as hello Claire Warner or LinkedIn Claire Warner. Perfect. On behalf of the Served Up family, Claire, I just want to wish you some great health and a lot of peace. And thank you so much for being on our show. I just want to say, Bridget, thank you for being such a massive inspiration for me always. I've always looked up to you and I'm really grateful to spend this time with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!